This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a special one today. I've got my good friend Jason Price on here. And... This will be pretty darn close to when Jason's actually going to be doing a, a little announcement. So, Jason, as, as you introduce yourself here, I'm actually going to let you introduce yourself with your new title. Oh, yeah, this this will be the first one. So, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, I've listened to the last few of your podcasts. They're great. Um, my name is Jason Price, and this is the first time I will say this. I am the new executive director of Grand Slam Club Ovis. Ooh, that sounds fancy. Fancy, I yeah, like it. Yeah, it. it does sound fancy. They make it sound real fancy. That sounds fancy. So we've obviously I've got a ton of ton of questions coming for you of, of Grand Slam Club Ovis, what your history there is, what kind of led you to to make this decision to jump on and kind of lead that ship. Um, but first, I kind of like to like to give everybody a little backstory or or how how did you get into hunting? Like like most people, I mean, I'm from Texas, so like most people uh, from Texas, you get into it by hunting whitetails. Um, I started that at an early age, probably nine or ten years old. I had an uncle that introduced me to it. Uh, none of my really immediate family hunted, uh, and still do not to this day, other than my son. Um, so he took me out, showed me the ropes, and and not a normal way. Um, he made me braid my own ropes. Um, he taught me how to bury my food in the mountain and come back and find it. And as you can imagine, at nine or 10 years old, it's hard to find that. Wow. Um, but uh, just a lot of camping out. I love the outdoors. Um, and it just took off from there. And I never, you know, I've never asked you, how old are you? <laughs> so I knew you're going to get around to all these, yeah. these questions. I, I saw your list beforehand and I'm sure we're going to talk about my, my challenges with big horns and, oh, yeah. uh, and, and my, and I'm sure we'll hit on my car sick problem on these hunts <laughs> but i'm 47 years old and i've uh, been hunting for you know 30 do the math real quick 38 years all right and i was trying to think 
because time flies and in the COVID years, it always messes everything yeah. up because you forget about two years. How long have we known each other? I was I was actually thinking about that be- just before the podcast. I think we met. Hey man, the years blur together, like yeah. you said. But I want to say we met maybe a year or two at one of the conventions before we went to Tajikistan and actually got to spend some time together. Yeah, so it would have been damn. Yeah, was that sixteen? Yeah, fifteen, sixteen, somewhere in there. Yeah. So it's, it's been um, going on seven seven years now. And yeah, I think the first time I met you was at Dallas Safari Club, maybe. Yeah. And and one of Jason has a lot of, of past past lives. One of the things Jason did in past lives is he actually um, handled the transportation of show booths for um, a number of people. So it'd be anybody that doesn't know that'd be if you're going to SCI or Dallas Safari Club, Wild Sheep, any of, any of those type of convention shows. Obviously, your booths got to get from one show to the other. Jason handled um, Worldwide Trophy Adventures booth for a number of years. Um, after some fiascos of other people trying to trying to handle it for us, Jason finally took it over and, and did it flawlessly until he called me and said that, "Hey, I'm I'm exiting this business," and I was like, "Well, well, damn!" So had to transition out of that. Yeah, it is definitely one of the former lives, um, and and that's that's really how I got to to meet a lot of people in the industry, and that that was kind of at the beginning stages of the experience as well. Yeah. So as you. You mentioned Tajikistan. So Jason and I, we went Marco Polo hunting in, in Tajikistan. Um, and trust me, if you want to get to know somebody really, 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 really good, go on a trip to Asia with them. You'll get to know inside out everything about them because you're going to have some intimate experiences along the way of, of getting stuck in airports. And I mean, they say it's a six hour car ride once you land, but six hours means it's actually about 24 hours. So if I, I remember, I think you slept for what twenty three of the twenty four hours that we drove yeah, over two no days. Doubt. It was I mean, quite impressive. That trip definitely checked all the boxes for international hunting. Yeah, uh, when we ended up having to spend the night on the floor in the airport there in Istanbul. Yep. On the way, um, yeah, I did a really good job of sleeping because, like I talked about before, I get extremely car sick. Uh, most think that climbing these mountains are the most physical thing we do. For me, it's a uh, it's the car ride to these, you know, so-called six-hour destinations that turn into 24. It's uh, And if I remember correctly, you had just gotten back from Pakistan on that trip. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you, you, were pretty, you were pretty confident in your altitude game. And uh, I think you spent maybe the first one or two days. I was um, cuddled up <laughs> in what I like to call the fetal <laughs> position. Yeah. So I think you were looking for some of that medication that I was taking on the way up there. Yeah, no, I, I was trying to take that on, on the first day I was sick, but I couldn't keep it down because I was throwing up so much. So it brings up a, a unique story that I tell from, from time to time. So my first, my first high altitude hunt, and I consider high altitude over 12. Some may consider a little lower than that, but, but 12,000 yeah, 12, 12, is, is a high altitude experience. And my first one was a, a blue sheep hunt in northern Pakistan. That's I, a great first one, by the way. I, I, yeah, there's a yeah. It was a it was a great first one. Still the <laughs> still the only one that's ever been filmed because you haven't manned up and gone well, over there I know, yet. I know, I know. You you got me on that one. So so that was my first one. But here's here's the difference between what I did in northern Pakistan and and then the experience that Jason's mentioned in here in Tajikistan to where I was in the fetal position for the first 24 hours in Pakistan. From the time I left my house, which I think I'm like 
280 feet above sea level over here. It's really high, really high altitude. I mean, it's nothing. Yeah, I think I got, I, I think I got you about 20 feet here. Yeah, so I mean, you're we're both coming, coming extremely flatlanders. So you, to get to Pakistan, it's obviously two day, two days travel in the air, Istanbul or not Istanbul, um, Islamabad. And then there's always talk of this magical flight that'll take you from <laughs> Islamabad to wherever you're going. But it's a mythical. I've been over there multiple no, times. No, it exists. I've done it once. It okay. does exist. There, there's one plane, apparently. That one plane is never yeah. available when I'm there. So all of a sudden, it's time to hop on the Karakoram Highway, which for anybody that doesn't know is the most dangerous highway in the in the world. And that's... Miserable. Oh, it's horrendous. Horrendous. So that's three days of driving which basically will take you up to, I think, Shimshal, which was the end the end village to where we started to walk from, was, was like 9,800. So I, mm-hmm. if you think about it, that's three days for my body to adjust from sea level up to 9,800. Spent the night yeah. at 9,800 in Shimshal and then spent the next two days walking from 9,800 up to, I think, our base camp was somewhere just, just south of 13,000 feet. And then we had hike right. up, and I, I actually shot the blue sheep um, my brother-in-law Eric sent me an inreach message from it, so I'd have the have the elevation, but it was at like fourteen six. Yeah. But it, it was over a period of time. So if you think about that, it was yeah, really you had plenty a, of time to acclimate a week. So yeah. I had altitude sickness medicine with me on that trip. I never had to take it. So I was possibly, quite possibly, overconfident when I went to Tajikistan. <laughs> oh, and oh, you think? I, I may have been overconfident and everybody in the group was taking altitude sickness. And I just remember in Dushanbe, I'm like, man, guys, I'm going to be fine. I already, yeah. I've already been above what we're going to be on here. I was perfect. So fast forward to Tajikistan from the, from the time you land in Dushanbe, you start driving that day. Um, and then it's the next day you arrive into camp and hot springs. I was trying to remember it's above 13,000, right? It's like 13,400 is hot springs. Yeah, camp. I think because I think I shot my Marco Polo just above maybe 14. Yeah. So you, you get in there and now you're talking, it's less than 20 hours. Most of that's on the road for anybody that missed that along this way. Most of that 20 hours is on the road. And that's uh, a that's a smooth, easy road. It's just uh, basically no, like no a highway. No problem on that. Yeah. Uh, there's no uh, edges that you could slide off of and die. I mean, it's, it's a completely safe road up there. Yeah, so. pretty much like a U.S. highway. Except for the fact yeah. that you're cruising along the Afghan border for the majority yeah. of it. I and hope the listeners can actually hear the sarcasm. Yeah, and it's 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 a two track, literally off a cliff that you could slide off at any point in time. Well, actually, you can because yeah. you just look at the cars that With have done semis it. Semis coming that would not be allowed on our highways. Yes, it's true. Hauling not one trailer but two trailers on these roads. Yes. So, it, so anyway, we get finally get into the hot springs camp. Again, I'm feeling good. I, this I was a lot younger back then. Um, I, I mean, just loose and spry, and and I get to camp. Oh, start, yeah, I still remember. Start moving guys' bags around, helping them move bags into their rooms. Still feeling good. Went in, had dinner. I think I may have even enjoyed one beer at dinner that night. And I woke yeah. up the next morning with the worst headache, and my stomach was just inside out, and I threw up for the next twelve hours. Altitude sickness took me down the first day. Just, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't keep water down. Finally, that night, I was able to actually get a, a altitude sickness pill down. I went out the next day, even though I, I felt like death, and gradually got better. Now, you would think I would learn from that experience, right? You would, you would think <laughs> well, I would. You would think I'd learn. I was just gonna say, you know, we we do learn things from each other when we go on these hunts, and 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 altitude sickness is actually you know, very common. Yeah. Something that a lot of us discuss and know. And actually, 
that was a great lesson for me because I knew you had just gotten back from Pakistan and then, you know, you'd gotten sick. So unlike what you're probably about to tell me about, I just, anytime I get above 12, 13,000 feet, I know I'm going to be there. I just start taking the medicine beforehand. See, that's a, that's, um, that's a smart decision. It's an extremely <laughs> smart decision. So I just got yeah. back from, so I take it you needed a little, you needed, you needed some further, uh, other lessons every every once in a while you just need to be reminded and then reminded again and i like to blame covid because it was two years and i really forgot what happened before that <laughs> so it, i literally just got back from peru what day two days ago and i was there waterfall hunting so we hunted along the coast which again is a couple hundred feet above sea level but the main the main purpose of the trip was to go and hunt in the mountains and that would be going after Andean goose, Andean teal, Andean crusted duck. Like there's six species that are specific for mountains in Peru of waterfall. I know everybody listening right now is like, this dude's crazy going to the mountains for waterfall. But yes. <laughs> so the first part of the trip went great. Hunt along the coast, high volume cinnamon teal, yellow bill teal, um, Bahama pintail, like easy stuff. Then we go to the mountains and we go from sea level to, I kid you not, we made it to 15, seven eight hours from when we were at sea oh level. wow oh yeah oh yeah and again you know me first one out there yeah. andy and goose had to go do a little bit of a walk little run finally got that that's the first hour up there by the time we came down the mountain seven hours later camera guy was throwing up i think i was blacking out at parts because my head and my stomach we we spent the night at eight thousand, which was thank goodness enough to at least ease it before we went up the next right. day and you instantly above got above 12,000, got a headache again. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, why did I not take altitude sickness? This, this, why? And it brought back the whole Tajikistan thing. Like I had never thought of that the last three years about being altitude sick. And, and, and Angela, the outfitter is like, why didn't you bring altitude sickness medicine? And I'm like, you know, I've got no good answer to that. I've got, I've got no yeah. good answer to that because yeah. I tell everybody I talk to that goes to high altitude to take it. I just didn't. Just trust me. Moving forward, I'll have the altitude. Yeah, I sickness definitely and sympathize with those that get sick on these these mountain adventures. Yeah, but they are fun. Again, like that one. I think we were in Peru for six days, and Dad added it up. We were in the car for over sixty hours. Hey everybody, month of July has one tag application that you guys have got to make sure to get applied before the deadline of July 30th. That is Pennsylvania Elk. That's a new one that we've been doing the last couple of years and a great one if you're looking for an absolute slob of an elk, make sure to check out Pennsylvania Elk. Oh my God. But you know, honestly, and I think that's, that's one thing that people don't realize is just the amount of travel that this entails. And I mean, the first thing you think about are the plane, you know, the plane trips, yep. but there's so much more to it than that. The, um, it's, the getting to these hunting areas, it's it, it's a it really is an event. I mean, it's correct. The flight is it, the flight from the U.S. to that country is usually the smoothest part of it. It's when you get oh, yeah. it's when you get I mean, met in it's, country. It's an endurance test. Yep. And and Jason, you've heard Jason and I joke about it. Everybody says, well, it's only a four hour car ride or it's a six hour car ride. What I found with Asia and a lot of places is if they say six times that by two and then add five. Oh yeah. And that'll get yeah, you. So I go into it just assuming now, like I don't even hear what they say. I just assume it's going to be 18 to 20 hours. Yep. 
Yeah, because it normally is, and they'll give you something that, hey, we had to take another route because this road was closed or we're going to another yeah. camp or whatever it is. But it's always it's yeah. always the same thing. It's never – It is. It, it's, it's a grind. And yeah. I'll tell you, like, it, I even changed, like, when I was going around at the conventions talking to outfitters about different hunts. And, you know, it all starts, you know, your progression of, of learning the ropes. You start, like, you know, what kind of animals do you have there? You know, what's the trophy quality? How many will I see a day? What's the hunt like? And, and I think, you know, three or four years into it, my first question was, well, how long is the car ride? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> let's, let's start, let's start those, with the those priorities. Those questions just moved down, and I just wanted to know, like, how far is the car ride? How long am I going to be on a horse? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, how, how long is it going to take to get to the hunting area? That'll help me gauge everything else that we're going to talk about yeah, after. Just, yeah, I'll just, know what to pack then. Yep, just so I could set the bar. So yeah, you're, right. you've, you've been fortunate enough to travel all over the world. What's your favorite hunting memory so far or spot you've hunted? Uh, you know, actually, it's it's crazy because a lot of the times those memories, sure, the hunts are awesome, but it's a lot of times it's the people, it's the relationships you make. So yeah. when I just think back on like some of the, the greatest hunting trips that I've had the opportunity to be a part of, first of all, they're all great. But the ones that I think that were most important to me or that I hold close to, to me are the ones that, you know, about relationships um the first one that comes to mind is um a doll sheep hunt i did it's actually my first sheep hunt i did with bob summers and um you know i i got a i got a barely legal ram on like day nine and had to work my butt off to get it but it's like you said before i mean you you never really know someone until you spend some time with them on an asian hunt or you know in a tent for 12 days because after i got the sheep we were snowed in but um you know a lifelong friend I got a doll sheep, but, you know, I got more than that. I, I got a friend. Um, the most – Pakistan has to be one of the coolest experiences ever. Yep. Just the culture, the animals, all – you know, the travel, uh, all wrapped up into one. Um, I, I love going to Turkey just because I like Istanbul. I like the history of it. Um, and that's a tough one. It's hard to just narrow it down to one. Um, I, I think – that having the opportunity to do so many of them is probably gives me a different point of view of which one is the best. Muddies, muddies um, the water a little bit. Yeah, it does. And, and I, I would say, I mean, obviously, I mean, North American sheep hunts are, are hard to beat. Um, stone sheep hunts, doll sheep hunts. Uh, you know, I'm going to skip bighorn hunts <laughs> for <laughs> actually, now. Actually, no, let's, let's bring that <laughs> yeah. up since, since no, you mentioned I mean, it. They, just, just sheep hunting in general. So I, I think if I had to say what's the best hunt that I've ever been on, I'm just going to be super vague and say, you know, it's a sheep hunt. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's not throwing shade towards ibex hunting because I, I love ibex hunting. It's just there's just nothing like sheep hunting. So sheep hunting anywhere. And if I had to narrow it down to sheep hunting in one specific place. And I haven't got to do the Mongolia, Haata, Argali. I can only imagine how great that would be. Mm-hmm. Um but it's definitely hard to beat the North American sheep hunting. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, yeah. but, but you did mention Alberta in there. Yeah. So no, I didn't mention Alberta. I mentioned Bighorn. Well, you mentioned Bighorn, yeah, so I, maybe I, I mentioned didn't Alberta. Didn't say anything about Alberta. So, I mean, you mentioned mentioned good friends. So one of the things that I always like about Jason is he's he's committed. He's he's working on getting his North America sheep slam. 
Um, yeah, and we refer to that as Grand Slam, Mark. Grand it's Slam. Grand Slam. Grand Slam. Thank you for the correction. <laughs> the Grand Slam of sheep in North America. That is a great, great correction there. So, yeah. Jason, correct me if I'm wrong. You are short a bighorn sheep, correct? I, I am I am short a bighorn sheep. Um, yeah, I, I'm short. And, now, <laughs> and I know you're trying to squeeze it out of me, so I'll just go ahead and save you the trouble. All right. Um, currently, I think I'm on day 39 or 40 of hunting bighorn sheep. Um, and I, I have a very interesting story because I was talking to a good friend of mine, Brendan Burns, before I went. And um, he told me, he said, hey, you know, bighorns are hard to get. Um, you know, everybody wants to get, you know, a, a trophy, a book ram. But, you know, just if you see a legal ram, you're going to have to seriously consider it. It's just it's just difficult. Yep. And Mark, I saw a legal ram on day one. No. Yeah. And it was it was right next to I mean, it was a young ram and I mean, a squeaker. Yep. Uh, but tipped, um, you know, I, I knew it was full curl. But it was right next to it, you know, 11 or 12 year old double broom ram that, I mean, it, it just dwarfed this thing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like your altitude sickness of, you know, you look back on it, like, man, I, you know, I probably should have taken that sheep. I, I really don't have regret of not taking that sheep. Um, the contrast was so different and I just, I just couldn't do it. Now I can't tell you that, you know, along those other 38 days, I didn't think about that, you know, over <laughs> and over again. But, um, yeah, that was a tough one. And I spent 19 days there on that trip, maybe 20 total days. I never saw another legal ram. Had terrible weather, lots of snow. Um, I mean, I hiked my butt off all up and down those mountains looking for rams. And, um, you know, my approach at that point was, you know, just go everywhere I possibly could go. And, you know, if I busted out rams, I busted them out. But, you know, I was just trying to cover as much ground as possible at that yep. point. And, so fast forward a couple of years, I get the opportunity to go again, and uh, it's actually after COVID year. And I, I went into it like super excited thinking, you know, no one's been hunting. Um, so, you know, I should be able to see some great rams. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't the case. Actually, I was I couldn't have been more wrong with COVID. You know, all the Canadians just had an opportunity, you know, to, they weren't working and uh, they were getting outdoors. And I think there are probably more more people hunting bighorn that year in that area than probably any other year and probably five years combined yep um so it's right next to a park and it just you know all that hunting pressure probably changed the patterns a little bit of those sheep but you know i never saw a ram and the outfitter called me about a month ago because i'm going again this fall like i said i'm, I'm persistent sure. for punishment yeah so uh he called me and he finally broke down and told me like 10 days after i left this last time that you know they saw another pretty decent ram Right after you and left. He'd, he'd given me the opportunity to stay, but, you know, at that point I was, I was into, you know, 18 or 19 days again. And, uh, just uh, looking back on it, if I have any regret, that was probably the one regret. Um, not, not giving it 10 more days, but I mean, at that point, how do you know? I had literally not seen, I may have seen 20 U's uh -huh. and probably three Rams total in that entire trip. Oh man. Yeah, so just not, just, just they just weren't there, and no. I mean that's how that happens. That's that's hunting. Uh, everybody has, you know, that one hunt that they have a hard time with, and and for me, 
you know, it's almost embarrassing to say that I'm the executive director of Grand Slam Club Opus and I don't have a Grand Slam and you're not the first one to give me a hard time about that. Listen, I'm not giving you a hard time about <laughs> not having the slam because that, that is it's actually extremely hard. It's getting. I mean, oh, yeah, no it's, doubt. It's one of those things that's getting harder each each year. I just love the fact that you've been in Alberta hunting for bighorns for for 39 days. I mean, you're very well, easily this year could push over 50. Oh, I know. And I've actually heard stories of, of people over 60, um, but it'll make it all more worth it when it's when it's when I finally get it done. Oh, yeah. And uh, and, and, I, and I, I have the sneaky suspicion that I'll be like, OK, let's start over. So um, that's, that's that's really why I've started hunting with Ethan and giving him those opportunities, because maybe that'll be my my next project is, you know, getting him in the outdoors. He loves. Oh, that'd be that'd be great. So it's you a mentioned, lot more fulfilling taking your kids, as you know, than than oh, doing it yourself. Not no doubt about it. That's <laughs> the best times I have now are with Shelly in the field. Hand, I mean, hands down, watching watching her in the field more than me yeah. is, is. And you asked me that 10, 15 years ago. I give you a completely different answer. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. Yeah. I, once you once you see your kid mature in the field and make their own decisions and their own reactions. And just see them develop because there are lots of ways like you, you can be in the house with your kid and they'll develop, but you don't see it as a, as an individual one-on-one because there's so many other dynamics going on, school, oh, yeah. sports. I mean, I know your kids are crazy in sports. Like we're home. I mean, today we got basketball and then we got softball. So I like after three o'clock today, I'll be in a gym or on a field until, well, when it gets dark. And then all of a sudden we get yeah. to eat and then we get to yeah. rinse and repeat. So just that time. It's with the, the kids. season of life that we're in. Yep. Yep. But then when you get that one-on-one with your child out in the field, all the other stuff kind of melts away and you get to, you get to see them and you get that one-on-one relationship. It, it It's special. I love it. I can't wait until yeah. Shelly just got done with a successful black bear hunt in Saskatchewan, used a crossbow of all things and just. Yeah. I saw that. She, she did awesome. I mean, they, everybody's yeah, like, she was 12 so and cool. moved it herself. I'm like, yeah, we practiced a ton at the house. I mean, she felt extremely confident. Now it's, we'll have, as I look for Shelly this year, we've got two youth seasons, Michigan and then Kentucky. And then we're actually going to Colorado um, to get an antelope. And I was going to ask you, so Grand Slam Club, they came up with a youth award, correct? Yeah, youth three. Youth three. And that, that involves a predator, an antler, and a horned animal, right? That's right. In yeah. North in, in North America. So it, hopefully Shelly gets an antelope that will complete her her one. Yeah, that's 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 a super cool program. Um Ethan's one animal away also. He needs the predator. Ah. Yeah, no, that's I, I thought it's really cool because I mean there's nothing else for kids. No. There's nothing else no. for kids to to look at and kind of dream and want and chase and I mean obviously sports has that all over the place. Yeah. But hunting there wasn't anything like that until that until yeah. that one was developed. Yeah, I think the U three and the Super Ten are great platforms that that really bring people into what uh, Grand Slam Club has, like you know the progressive style hunting. Yep. Uh, where you progress through, you know, because we all started somewhere hunting, you know, rabbits or squirrels or whitetails, or and and then you you find out new things. It's elk and mule deer and and sheep and goats, and, and you're kind of in a bubble at first of of what you know and, and what you're uh, you've been raised or, or or grown up as a part of and um 
I think those two, those two specifically, the U3 and the Super 10, are great introductions into what Grand Slam Club is. I do. I do. Before, but you're jumping ahead of me here. I don't want to get into Grand yeah, Slam Club no, quite yet. We've got that. some other stuff to cover before then. So you mentioned yeah. this year you've got Alberta planned. So I assume you just took the whole month off for that one, correct? Well, I did. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm definitely going to be a little bit more versatile on that one um, so that, that I could stay longer if necessary. You know, I'm still holding out. I'm, I'm really probably dumb in my expectations, but you know, I think I'm gonna get it done in the first few days. There you go. I mean, it's, it's the positivity you gotta <laughs> yeah, have going into it. Optimistic. Um, and actually, I've, I've tried to film that hunt twice, and almost luckily, I you know, I didn't get a shoot because my camera guy had to go home in the middle of the hunt both times. Well, yeah, you um, call it the middle of the hunt, they call it the actual end of the hunt. After you, yeah, after you yeah, hunt, that's the, what they call it. After you hunt yeah, the, the ten day hunt period and, and don't stay for the second ten, that's uh, yeah. And you know how these hunts are. I mean, they're they're fifteen, and you know day six yep. ends up being the end. Yep. Um, but I mean, just some extenuating circumstances that my camera guy had to go through. So I mean, he didn't have a choice but to leave. You gotcha. But, um, so are you filming it yeah, this year? So I have uh, I have Mongolia in July, um, and I hope to finish my. Um, Capra Slam there with the Altai and the Gobi Ibex. Okay. And then uh, October, I'll be there. You know, we're going to call it a bighorn hunt. It, you know, in the past, they've been camping trips, but you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll be there on that bighorn hunt in October. And then December, I'm going to take Ethan and a few of my friends and their kids are going. We're going to go to Mexico and do, uh, we're going to hunt mule deer again there in Sonora. Oh, um, I, awesome. I just I love Sonora. I, I love hunting in Mexico. I, I've taken Ethan down there a couple years ago, and I mean, it's great shooting the mule deer. He actually gets more excited about hunting the rabbits at night. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so if I can distract him long enough from the rabbits, maybe we can get a, another mule deer. That'd be awesome. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you got to make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years, and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, roughtough.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit leopold.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. So you mentioned Mongolia. What What is your dream hunt? Everybody's got their dream hunt that they, yeah, that they I mean, work for. Uh, what is yours? You, you've probably done, you know, if I were to list my top five hunts, you've probably personally done all five of them. Um, and, and I alluded to it earlier. The Mongolia high altai, um, our golly's probably, I mean, it's got, with the exception of maybe, you know, a few of the markors, it's got to be the pinnacle um, of mountain hunting. If if I transition away from that, you know, obviously we can't do it today, but I would just love the opportunity to hunt tigers. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be so cool. Um, so that's, you know, that's, not a possibility and probably not going to be a possibility. I don't, I don't see that one coming. I don't see that. One yeah, coming that, back. Would, that would be, that would be so cool. Um, but those two, yeah, those would be, those would definitely be at the top of the list. And how many days have you spent cat hunting in Africa? Oh, well, 
And if I added them up, it's less than the big horn. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably way uh, less than the big horn. No, let's see. I've, I've been lucky enough to get three leopards. So I'm three for three on leopards, which, you know, that, that has to say something about my hunting ability. That or um, the pH, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> or and really just my my mental endurance uh, yeah. is what it should be. Uh, you show you know, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you this one jason you showed the mental endurance on the bighorn you don't need to, i'm not questioning <laughs> you anymore on that well i don't know so my first leopard i shot on the 15th night of a 15 day safari oh um and when i actually when i first went to africa you know a lot of people kind of cut their teeth in africa on planes game yep i, I just went leopard the the dangerous game is what was the draw for me to Africa. Um, you know, the Plains game hunts are awesome over there, but, you know, really the, and it's still to this day, the only Plains game hunting I've done has really been for bait for leopards. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to take some really great trophies along the way, but, you know, the, the focus was always on dangerous game. And on my first trip, I did the leopard. And like I said, it's the 15th day. I, I bet I sat in that blind, and you know how it is. It's excruciating. Oh. It's so boring. It's so uncomfortable. Um, it, it was it was awful. My legs would go to sleep, and it, it would take me twenty minutes to get the blood going back in them, so I could even climb down out of the out of the stand or, or walk out of the blind. And you got to be super quiet for for a long time, and then, and stay awake at the yeah. same time. Um, so I, I was probably in the blind sixty something hours before I. 60 65 hours before I, I got my first leopard oh man that's um, the cat hunts over yeah. there are ones that you uh, like my experience is you 100 percent run out of things to think about so then you start yeah. over on the list again and you find out like i've been i've rethought this one thing now oh yeah and you play mind games oh, on yeah. yourself like i this yeah. is this is funny but i thought about shooting myself in the leg at one point and then global rescue come get me just to get you but i was afraid that i'd like hit my femoral artery <laughs> so it's like it's just like, oh, man, this is so uncomfortable. It's miserable. What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Uh, but, and you've done it. But when that leopard shows up yep. and there's just, and still to this day, there is nothing quite like that. Mm -mm. Um, it's, it's those hours of boredom by this split second jolt of adrenaline like no other. And um, it's it's nuts. So my second trip to Africa, I shot. I was able to do the lion, the leopard, the elephant, and the buffalo in one trip, which was, which was awesome. That's that's probably that's a heck of a trip. Yeah, that that just doesn't happen really anymore. That's that's those kind of trips are you know mm -hmm. just back in the day. Okay, Roosevelt, they happened, but you know, in in our generation, there's less and less opportunities to get four of the five in one trip. Yep. Um, and, and I'd gotten the leopard on the 17th, not that one on the 18 day safari. So that one was just as miserable. And then the third one I got on the fifth night. So what is that? Um, 37 days. Yeah. I'm less on, on cat hunting. Um, then, uh, then big one hunting on the fifth night for the third one. It's like he didn't even work for it. Oh, I didn't. And it was actually the first time I sat in the blind. Ah, there you go. Yeah, hot blind, so completely different right. experience, but it was, um, nonetheless, it was still just as exciting. <laughs> no doubt about it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So as, and I, I've mentioned before, Jason has a lot of past lives. Um, I think probably one of the ones that that got you most notoriety in the outdoor industry was when you started up the experience. Um, am I correct in that? Yeah, for sure. Yep. And it was so different when you came out with it at the time than, than, than everything else that was out there. Explain your thinking when you came out with it. Like, what did you want to do with it that was different or special compared to everything else that was out there in the industry? Yeah, so a little bit, you know, going a little bit further back, because all this kind of, like, intertwines together in, in a crazy way. And if, if this was my original plan, then I, I would have probably been considered a genius, but it was not. This was literally, you know, throw the noodles against the wall and see which one stuck. Mm-hmm. But um, I, had, I remember I'd called the Outdoor Channel, and I can't remember what year it was, but I just, you know, I was asking questions like, hey, what does it take to get, you know, a, a show on air? And honestly, and this is the, the God honest truth, the guy laughed at me. I mean, he's like, yeah, you know, well, you know, it's going to cost this. You're going to have to do this. And, and it was just right before one of my Africa trips. I think my first Africa trip. And I was planning on filming it, which was a whole debacle in itself. But um, the guy just laughed at me. So... That motivated me. I mean, you know me. I, yeah. I like a good challenge. So um, I took a camera to Africa on the first trip, and it was one of those Canon 3CCD heads <laughs> that uh, we definitely don't use that technology anymore. And it hung up, and like when I shot the elephant, like the screen went black, and I never got another um, any more content on film the rest of the trip. So definitely got a lesson, and I started thinking, well, that guy at the Outdoor Channel was right. This is a little bit more difficult yeah. than, than I thought it was going to be. Um, but fast forward to the experience a little, that was really kind of in that transition period of, you know, linear television as opposed to digital. And I I tell people this all the time. I probably miss really the prime time of getting into the digital aspect by a year, Mm -hmm. but I think I still was, was in the right, you know, time frame. You were on the, you were on the tip of the edge. Yeah, yeah. I, it, just on this, and I think you and I did a lot of talking during that point because you were part of, or you were you were doing uh, Be Alive at that point. Yep, yep. And Be Alive was, as as a lot of people uh, may not know, was a huge digital platform uh, opportunity for people. And and I had actually put the brakes on pursuing any sort of thing on television because of you know what you had kind of coming down the pipe with mm-hmm. Be Alive or what we thought it might be. And so I was hesitant to go to the television route. Um, just waiting to see what, what be alive did. And there was a lot of delays in that rolling out. And one day I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to put it on YouTube and, um, and I'm going to roll with it. And it, um, it definitely took off from there. There was some great, great films that we had at the very beginning. 
had some great guys a part of it that kind of helped along the way. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I just got in there at the right time. It was right place, right time. It focused on hunting more, more than just, you know, the same individual doing the hunts week in and week out. Yep. Uh, so it gave the platform a lot more opportunity to expand. Um, it was a lot different from a marketing approach. So, you know, there was some hurdles there because, you know, as you know, I mean, you're very involved in this, this industry. It, it, it was different for a lot of those guys, a lot of the sponsors uh, transitioning from linear, linear to digital. So um, I like to think that I paved the way for, for, you know, a lot of the other the guys to come. And it's interesting because I mean that, I mean, what year did you start the experience? 17 and 17. So it's been five years. And at that time, I I started filming in 16, I think. And it it was still, it was still that the the same talk goes on now between do I, do I go to linear or do I go to digital? And it's, it's so like there's, so I'm on both now. Like I, I, I'll openly admit I waited too long. And when I say I waited too long, I waited three years too long to start really putting a presence on digital. And when I say, what's the word digital mean? Like that's, use it when you're talking to sponsors and nobody really knows yeah. what it means. It, it, for me, it, digital means that I want to put my content up so the most amount of people can watch it. So that doesn't mean I just put it in one spot. That means I put it in every spot that's possible because I think we've all come to learn that people use different platforms. So if I just have it on YouTube, well, there's certain people that don't watch YouTube. They just never right. will. It's not. Now, there right. are some people that are straight YouTube, or there's some people that like to use an app, or there's some people, and yep. I'll, I'll even use digital as Instagram or Facebook, or now because mm-hmm. they all have, you can use reels, you can do all this stuff, so you can you can yep. hit different different points and show what you're doing in the field and, and all that stuff, and you really need to grow your presence as an overall whole. You can't just have one aspect of it to go. you got to have it grow as everything, but then I go back. Linear still here. Now, is, is, is it what it was 20 years ago? Absolutely not. Is it getting better or harder? It's getting harder. Every single day, it's getting harder. But if you look at the average age of the hunters is getting older, and there's still that group that of older hunters that are like, man, I, you know who I'm talking about. They can barely use their phone. Yeah. So they're still watching hunting TV during the week, a linear TV show. Like I still look at my numbers. There are millions of people that watch it every yeah. week on linear TV. Yeah. And that, that it's a demographics that's there. And for, for everything I do, I just looked at it and said, you know what? I got to be on linear and digital. So we, we do, we do two or three different edits of the same trip, depending on where we're going to put it just because we know the demographics and what people like to watch on linear versus what people like to watch on digital. So it's, it's covering all those, yeah. all those, what I love that when I first, like I dabbled on it when you did it and I tried to use the same linear cut on digital, which was a failure. It just didn't, didn't work. Didn't, didn't translate to what the viewer wanted. When you started the experience, like I remember you let your, your cinematography and your music carry the episode. Let the, let the beauty of nature carry it. Find the music that matches perfect to it. Let the field producers do their job and capture it. Don't have the guy turn back and and I I'm, I may be biased. I don't in, like to in sh- hushed tones. I, I don't give like the yeah. I don't like the guy that the play by play. It's a twenty minute episode and he's talking for nineteen minutes of it. Well, that just tells me that he did. 
the, the experience in the field wasn't enough to carry it. And the beauty That's about right. digital is that experience in the field may be nine minutes or it may be 29 minutes. But yeah, you and we say, you know, let content it play. takes duration. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the big things that, that we thought. And again, it's the difference, like you're saying, between linear and digital. And and I kind of define digital as on-demand content. Yep. Um, and just wherever you choose to get that, that's on-demand content. I do think that there's, there's a place for both. Um, I think it's smart to be on all of them like you are. Um, I think you reach a demographic on each one of them. And from a sponsorship standpoint, I think there's value in both depending on the sponsor's, you know, desired results. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it was a completely different concept. I think it's like you said, I think it's still evolving on the digital side. Um, and, and the linear side will, will adjust and adapt. Um, and, and they have. Yeah. And on the, the digital side, it's, I mean, it's so tough. We can talk about this because restrictions change or what you can air. Yeah especially being hunting and showing guns and, and what we do on an everyday basis, the platforms are not owned by hunters that we, that we dabble in and, and show our content with. So they make changes on restrictions of what you can show all the time. Some of which I agree with some of which I don't at all. Um, but it, it's tough to adapt to those because they're not consulting with us. They're not giving us any heads up. They just make the change. We find out after the fact. Yeah. Of, of what have you is. on digital? Have you ran into, have you ran into a lot of issues like that where you've been kind of caught? No, not truthfully us. Yeah, we I, don't. We, I haven't either. I have on like Instagram, Facebook, like on photos. Yep. Um, you know, I've, I've been caught and actually I think it's really, I call them the Disney animals. Um, I, I seem to get, I seem to get flagged more for those. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, or hear people getting flagged more for those. But um, and as far as the digital platform so far, I mean, I have heard the horror stories about it, but like I really have, haven't had any issue or I didn't have any issue, you know, when I was doing the experience. And that's where I, like, that now you asked that question. Have you had any, any bad ones? No, because we don't, I'm not going to pop. I'm not going to You're promoting hunting in the highest yep, I'm, form yeah, of I, won't, I won't hold back. And we some, have to be good stewards of, of, of who we are. And, and we can't go out there and, and, and you know, act like idiots because, I mean, that's that's not what we are in the first place. Exactly. Um, there, there are lots of people. If you're going to show out. something on film, you have to be respectful of the animal. I mean, whether it's on film or not, you should be respectful of the animal, the habitat. Um, you know, don't be leaving trash around. Don't take for granted the opportunities that we're getting to hunt. And, um, you know, if you're not portraying that on film or, you know, even in, in real life when there's not a camera rolling, you shouldn't be out there hunting. Yep. There's some bad ones in the, and I know everybody knows who they are. There's some bad ones in the oh, industry yeah. that do it for likes yeah. and oh, yeah. do crazy stuff that I wouldn't, like, I don't know if it was how I was raised. I would never do that because it disrespects, yeah, okay. it disrespects everything that I believe hunting should be. And we call it policing, and, and that's not the right word. But you know, us as hunters have to do a better job of holding each other accountable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that, nothing infuriates me more than someone. Usually, it's in some sort of embellishment of you know some accomplishment someone's made, and it's it's in such terrible taste yeah. that it really gives the people that are so adamantly against us just the fuel to to go at us even harder. Yep. And, uh, you know, we've got enough challenges as, you know, with, without that. It's a very, very true statement. Kind of went off on a side tangent there and got me a little, a little. Yeah, I know. There's all these rabbit holes you get going down on these. Yep. So 
you're you've you're transitioning away from the experience and all these other other past lives that you've had and taking over at Grand Slam Club Ovis and you officially start the first week of July, correct? Yeah, I started um, just kind of a little facts. Well, first of all, I've sold the experience to uh, the Wildlife Gallery. They're okay. a longtime sponsor. Dan Catlin is a great friend of mine. And I can't think of a better company or person to kind of take the reins from here and and uh, really start the next chapter of the experience. And, and I expect great things out of them. Their first film that they did, they came out with uh, Brian Reed, just did a uh, Turkey Ibex hunt is an awesome film. So I expect great things from them. And I'm, I'm really excited about Dan and the wildlife gallery. Um, they're taking the reins on that and, and I, growing the experience beyond what I could do it. I think um, that's, so a, that's, that's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm happy that, that he's doing that. I agree. I've known Dan, a, Dan a long time. And Dan's actually one of the ones I got on my short list to do a, a podcast with him. Um, yeah. You guys probably got to do it at the gym though. Well, yeah, I know he spends a lot of time in the, the gym, gym or, the, or the racetrack. You know, he does, he does little, spend a lot of time at the racetrack. Man, those Michigan, you guys up there in Michigan, you guys, that must be a big thing up there. Listen, it's not where I'm at. I, I'm going to have to go grab some of my shirts, <laughs> cut the sleeves off, and, yeah. and we'll just yeah, go do I it at one of these racetracks. Back with that big experience logo on it. So, like, I, I'm, I feel like it's a big thing up there. I just don't know where he's at, but it's like, it's like five out of the five nights a week he's at this racetrack. I know, I know. That's, the podcast going to have to be on location. It's well, it's, it's either he's at the gallery, he's at the track. <laughs> he, he fits the gym yeah. in in the morning. So I started. Uh, I, I became a board member of GSCO last year, um, in June I think, uh, maybe July, uh, February first of this year. I kind of came on as the director of membership and development for GSCO, and, and really that was just my opportunity to get in here and kind of learn a little bit more about the organization. Um, and um, Mark Hampton actually came to me at, at some point and said, you know, I'm, I'm stepping down and the board now think that you would be an excellent person for executive director. And, and it was a great time of my life. As you know, like I've, I've sold all of my businesses. Um, I was really kind of, I definitely didn't sell them, you know, for an amount that I didn't have to work the rest of my life. So I was going to have to do something mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this opportunity just come along when it did was was really great timing. And I I couldn't have been more flattered. I couldn't have been more excited and, and scared all at the same time. So when Mark asked you, did you instantly know that you were going to take it? Yes. Did you tell him right away or did you say you had to think about it? No, I told him right away. Didn't he, didn't <laughs> you know, even I'm consult? Just, let's just get it done, guys. Yep. Didn't even consult the wife, just hopped into it and said, yep, let's do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely told my wife. I, I, I felt like that it was something that was coming. I felt like that it was a progression that I would have the opportunity to do one day. Uh -huh. um, now, obviously, I didn't, you know, if I'm if I'm being completely honest about it, I thought it'd be, you know, one or two, you know, even five years down the road. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, my wife already knew that I was passionate about it. And, and, and getting to stay in the outdoor industry was obviously icing on the cake. So as you knew this was kind of coming coming your way that this may happen and you were definitely interested what was it that interested you so much in grand slam club ovis you know and, and i told you all this kind of intertwined but if you really think about you know what what i did with the experience it was it was really a lot of it came from the grand slam club ovis platform 
I mean, just my passion of sheep and, and goat hunting and mountain hunting in specific. Um, I, I didn't intentionally model it after GSCO, but like I, I do know that that was probably one of the contributing things, you know, when I was kind of coming up with a plan of, of how I wanted the experience to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably the, the organization that most fit what I loved um, and not taken away from any of the other ones. I mean, I'm a Summit Life member at Wild Sheep Foundation. I'm a life member at Dallas Safari Club. I think SCI does incredible things. I just, for me, um, Grand Slam Club Obis was just me. It, it, it checked all the boxes for me. And, uh, and if you really think about it, I mean, it's the most broad-based organization there is. I mean, from the U3, like we talked about before in the Super 10, all the way up to you know, the triple slam, which I know you've done, which is, you know, 12 um, Elvis for sheep of the world and 12 Capra uh, with, you know, the four North American sheep. So uh, that's an incredible accomplishment and one that I'm working on. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's such a broad um, conservation organization and, and one that, that I really gravitated towards early on. So for, for everybody that doesn't know, explain, Explain the history of Grand Slam Club Ovis. What it, what is Grand Slam Club Ovis? Explain it for for because I know I'll have viewers on here that have probably never heard. Yeah, of it and I, that, that's probably a, a long. I mean, we could get into detail about a lot of the different steps of the history of Grand Slam, but I'll try to hit some of the the, the, the main points. Um, first and foremost, I mean, we're a hunting records keeping organization. Uh, we promote hunting through our awards program or platform. And, and I think it's the best awards platform there is on the planet. And, and as you know, the more excitement that we can generate around hunting these animals, mm-hmm. the more people that want to hunt them, the more value that those animals bring, uh, the more protection and more conservation opportunities that we have. I mean, it's, it's simple. Uh, if there's a value to an animal, it will continue to exist and it will flourish. I mean, our, our North American sheep are a prime example of that. And I know we've got some, some troubles and we can get into that later, but, um, you know, doll sheep are struggling right now, but mm-hmm. um, there there are ways now that we can we can work with other uh, state entities or government entities to to try to address some of these issues. But um, for the most part, we just we're we're a records keeping organization. I was you know obviously everyone knows about the Grand Slam, um, and and promote free range fair chase hunting throughout the world. And so you mentioned some of the some of the programs you've got, you've got the youth three, um, super 10, uh, 29s. Just explain all the different ones that are underneath grand slam. Yeah. Like, like you referred to this, the, the 29, this, the super slam, um, you know, then that's, that's really all the North American species. Um, you know, your black bears and grizzly bears, brown bears, polar bears, cougars, the deer, the elk, uh, the caribou, which is an extremely difficult to, oh, to get. Um, as you know, um, the moose, um, bison, muskox, um, the, obviously the sheep, the pronghorn antelope, um, that, that really, those animals kind of, and I'm sure I missed some in there cause I've been kind of just skimming over them. Yep. Um, but that's the, that's the North American big game. So the super slam, um, and we just referred to it earlier, the Obis slam, which you've gotten. Um, and I think what I've got on record for you, I think you've gotten like, 13 or 14. Yep. Yeah. My next, next yeah. step is the, is the 20. Yeah. So you're working on your Obis 20, which yep. is, that's, that's an incredible accomplishment. Um, 
And then we have um, the Capra Slam, which is the 12 goats. Um, and uh, you've got almost 12, 13. You've got 13 of those probably. Because, yep. I, I mean, you've got the Triple Slam. So, And then the big one, the Grand Slam, is, you know, in order to get the Triple Slam, you got to have the Grand Slam. And that's that's probably, or that is the the pinnacle of our organization, the Grand Slam. We, we have another award that's really cool. It's the Pantheon that we partner with SCI on. And um, I don't know if you know much about that award, but it's it's probably the most prestigious, quantifiable big game hunting award there is in the world. I, I actually um, didn't know that you guys partnered with SCI on that. Yeah, yeah, super cool. I mean, Jalen Smith won that award, Rex Baker, Ed Yates, uh, who recently uh, Gary Bogner won. I mean, just oh, it's you're, it, you're... it's not it's not a political thing. It's just you have to go out and you got to do that, and it's it's um, that that's a that's a really cool one. So explain what explain what what that one is. So the Pantheon is well, it's really all the it, it, it's a partnership, like I said, with with SCI and um, and and ourselves, and um, it's it's obviously I think it's the again I, I might be telling something wrong here. It's the Ogus thirty, the Capra thirty. Um, it's the there's some SCI awards in there as well. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's so yeah. I know it's the Super Thirty. So it's the oldest uh, Slam Super Thirty. Uh-huh. It's the Capital World Slam Super Thirty. It's the Super Slam of 29 North American Big Game. It's um, I'm trying to remember the SCI things that it, it is. Um, and, and it's just slipping my mind right now, but. Um, like diamond level and all the inner circles of SCI. I, ju- I just can't remember. I'm not as familiar with the SCI awards platform, mm-hmm. but I want to say it's the diamond level and the inner circle. Um, it, it's pretty much you're hunting all the huntable continents. That's what it sounds like. Though you, the guys yeah, you mentioned, the are... award, it's, it's not an award that's given every year because obviously that's not that's not something that's attainable for yeah. someone every year. Um, but it's definitely one of the it, it just the most quantifiable big game hunting award there is mm-hmm. and you said political there are a few awards out there um some of the notable ones there's just like anything in the world a little bit of politics oh, yeah. on the, yeah, the back side and, and, and i didn't mean political in a, in a negative way in any way i just uh this one is is specific they have to be these free range animals and um you have to, you have to have taken all of them and, and it's, it's that simple all right so where is where does grand slam club ovis operate from from Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham. We're actually, well, we're in Adamsville, Alabama, to be specific. Uh, but we will be moving in August to a new location in Birmingham, which we are super excited about. Um, so, so knowing you live in Texas, are you... Yeah, split? so that's how I'm getting caught up on all your podcasts. I've been driving back and forth quite a bit. Ah, how, um, how long a drive? It's eight hours. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's in here in North America at home. You know, that six to 10 hour trip by car is really tough unless there's a direct flight, you know, and you live, you know, I'm two hours from Dallas and having to get to the airport early and flying to Birmingham and rent a car. Yes. It's, you know, by the time I do all of that, you know, it's seven hours. And, and you, um, but you so don't control I, your schedule. That's, that's the, right. Yep. And, you know, I, if, if I've got to stay longer, I can. If there's an opportunity to come back, um, then, yeah, but I've been going quite a bit really and, and that's how i've gotten to catch up on a lot of podcasts and 
um, and, and books on tape, but that's a new thing for me. I haven't got, I haven't got so, into the books on books on which tape. I don't know if they call it books on tape. It's books on my phone, but for some reason that slogan <laughs> books on tape. Well, the, the name hasn't changed yeah. from 30 years ago. Just yeah, the I'm tech not behind bringing it. a tape cassette in, yeah. the, in, in the car. There's, there's not those in there anymore. <laughs> well, no, that's, it's funny you say that though. I kind of use that eight hour mark too. If I'm eight hours away from something, you know, it's, as much as I don't like it, I'm probably going to hop in my truck and yeah, and drive just because by the time I would drive from my house to the airport in Grand Rapids and leave early, yeah. I'm staring at three hours in just in today's yeah. world. Most likely that flight's going to be delayed anyway or canceled, and then I wouldn't yeah. have made it. So I just find myself driving more now than what I like to. But oh yeah, and then sure. then you're I mean and even that's challenging now. So I mean, yeah. as but getting back to the to the history of Grand Slam and a lot of people just don't know this and I, I, I'm, I'm one of them. Like, I just didn't realize how long they'd been around. Um, the first like mention of Grand Slam and I think it was called like Grand Slam and Rams was first mentioned in this magazine, this True Magazine. And I just learned this a couple months ago. The magazine was called True and I don't remember who the, the writer was. I, I wish I'd been more prepared but it was first mentioned in 1948. Which wow. it's crazy, but the club actually began. Uh, Bob Householder founded it in 1956, and it was just called the Grand Slam Club. Which that's that's pretty cool. And the first um, registered Grand Slam member was Jack O'Connor. Not a bad one to have his number. No, one. no, that's that's pretty cool. So just the historical richness of it, and it's something I just you know I wasn't aware of. Um, and, and Bob ran the organization for 30 something years. I want to say in 1990, Dennis Campbell took it over. Okay. And then, uh, which Dennis started another one at the same time. There was grandson club. Again, I, I know this is a podcast and somebody's probably going to check me and, and, and I may be wrong on some dates and, and just like how the progression of it was, but I want to say, and 1997 or eight, he started another one called Ovis, but just because he wanted to focus on, you know, the sheep of the world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he'd kind of already gotten the grand slam kind of off the ground and, and, and really, you know, took the torch further than, than Bob did, but, um, and, and really grew the name, you know, grand slam club, but then he started Ovis and I think he merged the two in 2001. Uh, and so at that point, it became Grand Slam Club with a little Ovis, and, and, you know, we all refer to it as GSCO. Mm -hmm. And uh, 2005, they started doing conventions. That was the first time. And then we talked about the Pantheon. I think that was in 2012 or 13. They did the Pantheon with SCI. Uh, Dennis passed away in February of 18. Yeah, 2018, and then you know Mark took over from then until now, and, and really the Mark and and the board of directors, I I feel terrible if I didn't say this, was the amount of work that they did over the last four years for GSCO, it was absolutely phenomenal. It's unselfishness, um, and and they really they really did a lot of great things for GSCO, and they put it in a great position for me to 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 hopefully you know introduce it to a lot a lot of new people. Well, it's been fun to watch it on the on the outside. I mean, looking at the different conservation groups and so forth. Grand Slam Club Ovis has been active the last four years, even though two of those were were tricky and yeah. toughy. Like, yeah, you've, they were. You've, they've you've, been very difficult. Yep, very difficult, and and the difference on the other side. So, when is when's the convention coming up this year? 
Uh, I, I, was, I knew you were going to ask me that, so I was ready for that one. That one's January 19th through 21st, and we're back at the Westgate in Las Vegas. Okay. And explain what, what happens at a normal um, GSCO convention. Yeah, I I think it's the the convention itself is, is a little bit smaller than, than what we see, obviously, at Dallas or SCI. Um, but the, the greatest thing, and I'm, I'm not going to beat around about it, the greatest thing about what GSCO does in their convention model is the awards platform. It is it is great recognizing, you know, 300 plus hunters a year for doing these. And in a lot of cases, these lifetime accomplishments in hunting. Um, really, really cool. From the U3 all the way up to the Pantheon, like we talked about, they just have an opportunity to walk across the stage and be recognized for for an incredible accomplishment. Um, obviously, the Grand Slam map's the big one for us because, you know, we are Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. But um, really, really, that that's probably the, the thing that I'm most excited about, even before this position, every year during the convention seasons, that's, that's the one that I'm always most excited about going to and and hanging out with friends and, and seeing and really enjoying people being recognized for their accomplishments in hunting. That's very, it's, it's more of a personal feel to it, which Uh, there's no doubt. Yep. Yes. There's no doubt. So how does it work as, as you run the days, um, what awards did you do on, on each day? And then what do those, what do those events look yeah, like? So right now we've changed it a little bit. Uh, this, I can tell you kind of what we're doing this year. We've had some really cool things. We have a grand slam party. That's, that's going to happen. Um, I, that's Thursday night. It's, it's, it's really a slam party. So anyone that has completed a slam, whether that's the, oh, the slam, the capper slam, the grand slam, um, anyone that's completed any of those, there's going to be a big slam party on Thursday night. Um, Friday, we have conventions all during the day. Friday night, we do we have a dinner and the awards. We have an auction, and then we have a big after party after the auction, which will be really cool. And we kind of mirror that same thing on Saturday night. Um, Saturday night is you know our Grand Slam night, where we um, award the Grand Slam recipients. Uh, we also do the Triple Slams that night, and if we're lucky enough to have the Pantheon, we do it that night and the Obis as well. All right. But after parties, after all, all the stuff, just for everybody to hang out. Um, because that's really what it is. It's a social event. It's, it's a chance for us to all to kind of to get together and, and, and share, you know, stories and make up stories and lie and, <laughs> and bellis them. And, there's the yeah, truth it's, it's coming just, out. It's, it's a great opportunity. There's the truth coming out right there. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, some of the things that I'll accomplish, man, they get really great at those conventions. <laughs> <laughs> Everything gets yeah. bigger and longer. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, the more I tell the story, the more, you know, I add to it. And oh uh, yeah, I'm just like everyone else. I'm trying to impress you. Exactly. So what, <laughs> what's the, as you leave everybody here, what can what can we all expect from Grand Slam Club Ovis moving forward? Well, I, I think the important thing for us is to stay true to who we are. But what I want to do or what I want to accomplish is I want to introduce it to a lot more people. I've said it from the very beginning and probably for the last five years. I think Grand Slam Club Ovis is the greatest hunting conservation organization that very few people have ever heard of. And uh, I just want to do a better job of, of getting our brand and, and who we are out there to to more people and we 
these opportunities that we have together at these conventions in the works platform. I just, I just think that's a super big part of hunting and conservation. The, the more people we have involved in hunting, the more opportunities we can promote hunting, then that's going to give us more opportunities to be conservationists. Couldn't agree more. And the thing I love about, and I'll say this, the thing I love about Grand Slam Clavovis is you really have something for everybody. Like it, it Absolutely. covers all categories of hunting, no matter if you're a big international guy or, or whatever it is, like they have something for everybody in there, even if it's the super 10. So you mentioned the super 10 to somebody and they're like, Oh, I'm never going to be able to do that in, in, in my lifetime. Well, actually break down the super 10. If, if you're a goal oriented person and apply for tags, that is very doable for a lot of hunters. Oh, yeah. You mentioned it, and I mean, this is a plug for you, but the WTA tax program is like the perfect avenue for, for someone trying to go after the Super 10. I mean, that is that is like, that is a no-brainer. Because it, it's one of those things that, and I think everybody you've mentioned along this that's, that has the awards or the guys that have accomplished all this, they just didn't go out on a Tuesday and go, I wonder what I'm going to do today. What am I going to hunt today? Like the planning and the scheduling and so forth of of those guys is is crazy. But the same thing can can go back to the Super 10. You're not just going to leave your house on a Tuesday and go, I'm going to go do this. Break it down and plan for it. Okay, yeah. almost everybody has a whitetail in their backyard, yeah. it seems like. Or if yeah. you live in the West, you've got a mule deer. So you've got one of them down. Yeah. So just start breaking opportunities for black bears. Yep. Start, start breaking it down in antelope and, and saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this over 10 years, or I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this over, over my lifetime. What do I need to apply for? Obviously the sheep is the big one. You got to start applying early and often, and eventually you'll get one. You'll, you'll draw it. I I mean, the the hardest one has got to be the sheep and the caribou. Yep. You know, I just, but again, it's, I think it is, it's attainable for every hunter. I do too. And you mentioned caribou earlier in this as well. A caribou is one of those ones. <laughs> and it wasn't very long ago that you could go on a caribou hunt for 4,500 bucks. I know. Do you remember the days of what was it? Uh, Safari Nordique. Oh yeah. Yeah. You go up there. It was at 3,800 bucks. Shoot two caribou and be gone for seven days. Oh yeah. 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 And a hundred percent success on two caribou. Just like that that was my first trip into northern Quebec. Dad took me up there when I was when I was twelve. There was a, a ten year gap between when I went on traveling trips. I always hunted whitetail by my house, but my first my first traveling hunting trip, my dad at twelve, because that was the minimum age, took me to northern Quebec to go caribou hunting because that was the cheapest hunt that you could go on. Yep. And I still I'll still remember that to this day. But the caribou are just just like, like we mentioned, everything has its own challenges. Sheep yep. have their own challenges. Caribou are continuing to have their own challenges be it with habitat or yeah or whatever political pressures like in quebec that there are you know, mm-hmm. it just it's tough and especially like it, you just got to be honest look at today's world there are a lot of people people conflict with animals you can't have your population grow and your cities grow and not fight for the animals because the animals don't have a chance when they oh, come in there to put more apartment complexes up. Oh, that's that's a huge part of the equation. Just the habitat encroachment. Just is, to be, is, just to be honest. Like, like, let's yeah. be let's be honest about the whole situation of of talking about how animals struggle and so forth. Of of 
elk and their migration and, and mule deer and so forth, there's certain animals that can adapt very well. I consider a whitetail. You can put Absolutely. a whitetail in the middle of, of the city. And if there's a little yeah. bit of woods there and if he doesn't get hit by a car, he can survive because yeah. he can live yeah. on everything. You cannot do that to a mule deer. You can yeah, or a sheep. I mean, a sheep. They're you know they're just waiting to die half the time. Okay. And, and so I mean, think it, it, waiting to die is a correct statement because in people that 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 are listening that aren't sheep hunters or haven't had the chance or 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 don't study it or do it, think about a sheep's life, the places that they live. Let's pick a dull sheep in in Alaska. That sheep lives on top of the mountain because if he goes down, there are wolves that are going to chase him. As, as their young sheep, hawks and eagles try to glide down and force those young sheep to fall off the cliff so they can eat them. Yeah. And that's the easy part of their day. The, oh, yeah. tough, the tough part is when winter comes for seven months. And, yeah, you get and the to, snow pushes them down to the wolves. And the snow pushes them down, but the temps are cold. And that the whole life of a sheep is extremely tough. And now you start adding into, and everybody's going to say, well, there, there isn't large populations where sheep are. Eh. It doesn't have to be a large population of people that change sheep habitat. If there are in sheep habitat are, are so touchy that if there are a few, it messes it up. Think about all the money and all the resources that have gone to maintaining the bighorn population in the U S they get ammonia from domestic sheep. They, oh, yeah. they need to have the range and like all the one ammonia comes through and it wipes out the herd that has taken 12 years to build. And it's the conservation. It, what, what funds that it's the conservation dollars behind it that keep fighting that battle that keep putting up the fences that'll keep domestic sheep away from wild sheep. Yeah. Like, it kind of, yeah, you got me like going to, on another like rant. You got about, me going on another like rant. talk about, all the things that we've done and all the, you know, the financial contributions that we've made. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's our responsibility. And, um, you know, we just have to continue to push the envelope on new ways to, to approach these obstacles that, that we have. Um, we, we're, you and I are both aware of, you know, the doll sheep issues in Alaska and, and the caribou issues. And, and I'd love to say that I have the answers. I don't, I, I'm not smart enough to, to do those or to come up with those mm-hmm. answers. Uh, but it's definitely something that we have to address. There's, you know, people are approaching it far different than they were in the past. I don't know if you remember this, but Carl Malone did a, a sheep transplant 15, 20 years ago. Um, Brendan Burns with Conservation Direct. That's an incredible program where they're mm-hmm. transplanting, you know, large amount of sheep. But like for us at Grand Slam, the more people that we can introduce hunting to, the more people that that can have the passion for hunting and learn about the conservation that is a byproduct of hunting and being good stewards of the habitat and the species, then um, I think in the end, we take that responsibility as hunters and, and we really help all these species that are hurting today. Yep. We have to carry the torch to the next generation. That's right. That's right. And and there's always this fear of, you know, the next generation is not going to be do this or that. And, and I, I think our goal has to be that we maintain the hunting opportunities that we have today, if not increase those opportunities for the next generation. Exactly. You can worry about what the next generation does, but if your generation doesn't carry it to them, it really doesn't matter because right. you didn't give them the chance. Right. Yeah. Well, Jason, that's, that's great, man. I always love talking with you. Thanks for coming on today. And I encourage 
everybody that's listening, check out Grand Slam Club Ovis. Um, I know once you get on their website, you'll you'll do what I do, and I start going down all the different slams and everything, and, and they're very information-based on, on ranges and what's considered what and the history of it. Like I, I, I'm a big history guy, so I love all the history you guys got on there. If you guys caught from Jason talking today, that the history is a huge part of what Grand Slam Club Ovis does. It's, it's a history. It's a record-keeping company, so that's – I mean – it's the history of hunting that's led to what we do today. If I could say it any better than that. Yeah, no, you, you summed it up perfectly. Perfect. Well, thanks, Jason. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, have a good one. Thank you, everyone out there, for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.